You may have heard the expression fighting fire with fire. Um, so what's it mean to fight fire with fire? So I'm going to ask for uh, some examples here in just a minute, but uh, it's to fight fire with fire is to respond to an attack with the same tactics as the attacker. So whatever it is that comes our way, we respond with that same thing. And so obviously this comes from a, a literal expression of stopping a fire by lighting a backfire. Right? So if a fire is growing, then we say sometimes, let's start a fire in front of it to burn up anything that can burn and that can stop it. We also know that sometimes it gets out of control. But right, this is this is a, a fighting a fire by using fire. But what are some other examples in everyday life, uh, in our interactions with people? In what way might we fight fire with fire? Argue with an arguer. Argue with an arguer. Yeah, fight fire with fire. If you're going to argue with me, I will argue back. <laughs> yeah, what else? When else might people fight fire with fire? Say so love those who love you. I'm sorry? Love those who love you. Yeah, love those who love you. Yeah, so in a very positive way, that's great. Yeah. Any other examples? Fighting fire with fire. Sometimes we're stingy with those who are stingy with us. Sure. Yeah, so if you're not going to share with me, I can do that too. <laughs> right? Right. Good. We see this sometimes in politics, right? That as soon as somebody goes to an attack ad, then the other people say, well, I can't fight this with anything but fire, and so I'll give an attack ad. And maybe this happens in relationships too, <laughs> kind of like an arguer, right? Sometimes we say a violent attack requires a violent response, right? And so there's an argument that says, that, that we've got to come after fire with something really dramatic, like fire. Um, yeah, so Leslie, thanks. Uh, some great ideas of other ways to fight fire. And so we're actually going to explore that together as we think about what are Jesus' people to do in a world where God's ways seem not to be happening. And it wouldn't be wonderful to be in a place where the ways of God, that's the way everybody interacts. But what do we do when that's not how everybody's interacting? And so uh, sometimes we think, well, we do have to fight fire with fire. Or sometimes we think, let's give up because we just can't handle this fight. And we wonder, is there anything to be done? And so we want to take some time exploring uh, as Jesus taught. So let's pray and ask him to, to teach us. Jesus, we are so thankful for you as uh, the masterful teacher who also speaks as God. And so we ask that, that your words today would be powerful for us. We pray, especially, Jesus, that your words of encouragement would be words of encouragement to our hearts. We pray that... Uh, Holy Spirit, that you would do your work by your word, that these wouldn't merely, merely be words, but they would be an expression of the heart of God to the people of God for your glory and for our hope and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're in Matthew 5, um, spending some time there. Uh,
and let me just say a word of why we're there, but I encourage you to have that text in front of you. Uh, Matthew 5, and there are handouts as well as the link um, online. Um, so to say a word, we celebrate the Lord's Supper today. And uh, this is our monthly celebration of Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his return to reign as king. Um, when we celebrate this, we, we emphasize six different things as we go through the year. Uh, and so uh, in one month, uh, we will study the, uh, the one holy creator God. Uh, following that, we, we look at the reality of sin and rebellion against God. Uh, we look at the sacrifice of Jesus for us. Then we look at our response of faith. Uh, and then the call to mission to live like Jesus in the world. And then the emphasis on Jesus' return and the new heaven and the new earth. And so today, in our cycle, we're looking at this one that is the call of the, uh, the call to mission, the call to living like Jesus did in the world. Uh, and this uh, sent me to Matthew 5. Let me just say a little bit about the setting, because I think there's an important tie between the Old Testament and the New Testament here. In the Old Testament, before Jesus, Moses went up on a mountain. And he went up on the mountain to hear from God. And when he went, God gave him the statement of values, the Ten Commandments, literally the Ten Words, where God says, for you as a people, here's how you're to live. Right? You are to have no other gods. You are to, uh, you are to uh, avoid certain destructive things in, in relationships of murder and adultery and, and lying and coveting. And he says, here's what you should be like. God expressed, this is what he wanted his people to be like in the world. And so many have looked at this, and I think there's real merit in saying there was a day when Jesus went up on a mountain, but he didn't go up on the mountain to get a word from God. He went up on the mountain to speak as God. And Jesus also gave a statement of values. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, here is what God values. This is what it's like to follow him in this in this new covenant that I'm bringing. He came to say what he wanted people to be like in the world, what he wanted his people to like. And so I'm just going to read these first 16 verses of these three chapters. Uh, so Matthew 5, 1 to 16. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, and let me just say a word before we go on. Sometimes I think of this just as a description. His disciples happened to come to him and he taught them. But actually, I think that's a definition. His disciples were the ones who came to him. His disciples were the ones that he taught. And so here are the words that his disciples heard. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice! Be glad! 
Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm going to spend a little bit of time starting at the end of this and then go back to the beginning. And the reason is, uh, I confess, I thought this would be a really neat passage to uh, look at for mission, to say that we are called to be salt and light. And I thought, well, I'll just start here. And I realized that's not right. So I'm going to start here, but then go back and look at the Beatitudes, because I think that is what helps us understand what Jesus is saying about being salt and light. These two great metaphors. He says, you are the salt of the earth. It's funny in modern society, so often we think, oh, we get too much salt. We should avoid salt. Let's get rid of the salt. But to them, salt was essential for life. He says, you are what's essential to make life work. You as my disciples are essential to the good of the world. And then he said, you are the light of the world. And again, we we live in a time when we worry about light pollution. You can't see the stars anymore because there's so many lights. and, And now we've got the wrong color light when we're playing with our devices late at night and it keeps us up longer. Right? We, we struggle with having too much light. But to them, in houses that have few windows and no other light at night, having a light was essential. And it was a metaphor for what was essential in the world. So the salt was to improve taste, but especially to prevent decay. The light was to bring sight and purity to reveal God's ways. But I realize... Again, salt is a funny metaphor for us because when we talk about somebody being salty, it's usually not a compliment, <laughs> right? We speak in negative ways. And so I want to dig into what did Jesus really mean by saying to be salty? And what did he really mean by saying, I want your good deeds to be known? And so this is what drove me back to the Beatitudes. And I just want to walk through these. I've got this simple table that just to lay it out, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He he says, here are the people who should just be so glad of the situation that they're in. They should be so pleased that they bought stock in the company that was terrible and it just was ready to take off. They're the people who bought land in just the right place. A friend who years ago bought an apartment in a, a part of Beijing that was an unimportant part, relatively speaking. And then a subway stop went right there. (laughs) And they were blessed, right? They were well situated to be in a place that's going to pay off for, for years to come. Jesus said, the people who are in such a good place, they are ready to receive the goodness of God. That's the poor in spirit, (laughs) The people who, when they look at their lives and themselves, they say, I'm not sure there's much here. They say, I sure need God. The poor in spirit are those who say, I really need God. Sometimes it lines up with being poor financially or physically. 
Sometimes it doesn't. At the core, though, often it aligns. The people who are poor financially are often poor in spirit as well. But either way, it's saying, I need God. I'm in a hard spot. I don't have much. Jesus said, if you're poor in spirit, you are in a great spot. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. And and people have looked at this and said, what can this mean? Does this mean happy or the unhappy? (laughs) Right? But he says, if you are mourning, and it seems especially when we mourn because the world is broken, because it's not the way it's supposed to be. I'm not the way I'm supposed to be. This, This community is not the way it's supposed to be. And we mourn over that. Jesus said, that's a good place to be. You are well suited for the goodness of God. He said, blessed are the meek. And the meek are, are the lowly. It's, people have said it's closely related to being poor, but it's the people who aren't trying to, they, they don't expect they can conquer the world. They don't go out and say, oh, I'm, I'm in a position to judge other people. I'm in a position to, to say I'm in charge. Right? Jesus came meekly. He, he entered in Jerusalem on a donkey to say, I'm not coming here to conquer. And Jesus said the people who recognize, who, who see themselves as not being prominent and powerful, says those people, oh, they are in such a good place. This is where my blessing will be. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who, who desperately long for the ways of God. They long for it to be true in their own lives. They long for it to be true in society. They long for it like their next meal, like not having any food, and I long to have something to eat and to drink because I'm so hungry. And they are longing for the ways of God. He said, those people, oh, are they blessed. What a good place to be. He said, blessed are the merciful, the people who who look at others and, and say, you know what, they're in a hard spot too. And I want to do what I can to be helpful to them. I'm not coming to judge. I'm coming to help and to support and encourage. He says, oh, what a good place to be. Blessed are the pure in heart. And I think this is not just, it does relate to this idea of not having anything wrong in my soul. But I think even more, it's a heart that that longs for God and not for self. A heart that says, I, I, why would I choose me? <laughs> God is the one who's good. God is the one who's beautiful. And so I want him. Blessed are the peacemakers. Those who are trying to bring what is good in the midst of conflict and difficulty. One of the things that you you, you can see so easily in the world is don't expect to uh, to bring in a lot of political fundraising. If you say, I'm going to Washington to make peace and to compromise. (laughs) And people say, well, why would I give you money? I need somebody who's going to go fight for us. Fight for my people. Peacemakers very often lose friends on both sides. Because they're trying to say, how can we both compromise? And Jesus says, if you're trying to do that, oh, what a good place to be. Might not feel like it, but what a good place to be. And he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Who, who are in conflict with the, the world around them because of the ways of God. And often this is connected specifically with being a peacemaker. Blessed are those who, in trying to make peace, are getting attacked from all sides. 
who, who are suffering because they're trying to follow the ways of God. And Jesus says, here's why these things are blessed. This is why it's a good place to be. Because for those who are poor in spirit, they actually aren't very poor. <laughs> because they own the kingdom of heaven. He says, if you're poor in spirit, you actually have the wealth of God. He says, if you are one who mourns, God himself will comfort. Right? This divine passive. It's not just, oh, things will get better. I'm sure things will get better. No, the statement is, God will come to you. You who mourn that the world's not the way it should be. God will come. He will be present. He will bring his goodness. For the meek, they're going to inherit everything. <laughs> right? The meek don't show up and say, oh, I'm supposed to be in charge here. I'm supposed to have these things. The meek come and say, it's not my place. Right? And God says, these are the people who will end up owning everything because God will give it to them. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he says, that hunger is going to be filled. They desperately long for the ways of God in their own heart, in their life, and in the world. And he says, God will come and fill that desire. For the merciful, he says, God is going to show mercy. When God looks at my life, if, if I learn somehow to be merciful, and then I realize I desperately need mercy, God says, okay, I will show mercy because you have been merciful. The pure in heart, he says, will see God. Clearly, from a Jewish perspective, is, is what does it take to enter the presence of God? It takes purity. And, and this purity of heart just says, God, I want you. I want your ways. And yet I mourn over my own struggles. I, I, I hunger and thirst for more. And yet he says, if you have a heart longing for him, you will see it. The peacemakers, well, they'll be called the children of God because that's exactly what the gospel is. God is a God who makes peace. And guess who attacks the peacemaker? Abandoned by one side, attacked by the other. Right? The peacemaker was abandoned by all. And yet, Jesus was the victor. And he says, if you're a peacemaker, you will be known as being just like Jesus. And those who are persecuted, so interesting, it goes back to saying, the same thing as the first beatitude. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're being rejected, you're being put out, but he says you're blessed because that is being rejected by the kingdom that's going away. So when I look at this list, a few things stand out to me. One is that none of these things is naturally blessed. There's nothing on this list that you say, you know what, if you develop these qualities, it's going to really help you get a good job. And it's going to help you be the star athlete on the team. <laughs> right? And, and all, all the worldly success, you're going to be a great, uh, you're going to be elected to every high office if you will develop these qualities. These aren't qualities that are, are honored in the world. They don't lead to success. Rather, if you are these things, you're likely to get overlooked and taken advantage of. They don't work in the kingdoms of people. And that's why Jesus had to say them. Right? If he came to say, oh, my values are, are valued in the world, he wouldn't have to say anything. But he says, I need to tell you this because you can't tell by looking around. Jesus came and said, my kingdom is really different. So I think this is why Jesus said that he is the one who came to bring good news to the poor. Jesus is the reason that those who are poor in spirit are blessed, that, that the, the meek 
will inherit the earth, that, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. He's the reason. Jesus came to bring good news to the poor, to those who mourn, to the meek, the merciful, and the peacemakers. He said, these are the people in my kingdom that are well positioned to experience the goodness of God. So it's interesting because Jesus goes through these eight all in the third person, right? All saying, this is true of those people. And then, verse 11, he switches to you. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And now rather than blessed, and people wonder, is it okay to say that blessed is happy? (laughs) Well, here Jesus decides to say, rejoice and be glad. (laughs) Here he's very direct. He says, this should just be such good news to you when people insult you because of me. Because, he says, there is great reward for you in heaven. Because this is the way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus came and proclaimed something and showed something that is very different from our normal expectations and our normal reactions to things. And Jesus said that his people are going to live in this dramatic mismatch between his kingdom and the kingdom that we live in. The the values, the rules are really different. The normal ways are not his ways. That's why he had to come and say, here are my ways. And he said that, that these people should even be pleased about living in that mismatch. Temptation is to be angry, to be self-righteous, to attack. And he says, no, actually, just be glad. Just be glad, because there's great reward. You are well positioned for the goodness of God, for the blessing of God. And so then we come to these two metaphors. You are the salt of the earth. And I think to be the salt of the earth is to be like Jesus just described, to be those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for those who are merciful, he says, These, that's what I want you to be like. That's what it is to be salty. But he says, here's my concern. My concern is you're going to lose your saltiness. That over time, you'll stop being these distinctive things. He says, I want you to be the light of the world so that people can see what God is like. But he says, here's my concern. Your light's going to get hidden. And, and you might choose to hide it because it's not always really well received when you say, no, these are the ways of God. He says, if you'll do these things, if you will be salt, you'll be light. Here's the goal is to glorify your Father in heaven. That people would say, God is different from the world. But again, to say it, Jesus' concern was not with how the world behaves. In in this section, he, he didn't say, oh, it's terrible if the world doesn't do these things. Here he said his concern was about his people. He said, I'm concerned that my people will become unsalty salt. Somebody said, it's like having dry water. (laughs) What's it mean to have dry water? It it, it doesn't make any sense. Jesus said, I'm concerned that my people will not be different. They won't be distinctive. And he says, I'm concerned that my people will be a hidden light. A light that you light and then cover it up. He says, I'm concerned about that. He says, my ways are really different. And so I want my people to be really different and to be really visible that people glorify God. So here's the expression of the big idea that Jesus pronounced blessing 
on those who long for the ways of God and choose to grow into the ways of God, causing people to praise God for the beauty of his kingdom. The people who are blessed, who mourn that God's ways unfollowed, who are poor in spirit because they realize, I am not in the ways of God, and, and, and I, I struggle with so much, and, and, and I'm at a loss, and, and this, this mourning over my own brokenness, longing for the righteousness of God. He says, those people are blessed. And when people choose to grow in this, that is a place of great blessing. And so here we have the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Say, that's what I want. I want your kingdom. I want your ways. And it's an expression that we are not content until his ways are a reality. And he says, if that's your heart, you are blessed. You are blessed when you look and you say, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And you are blessed when you are growing into living according to the reality of that coming kingdom. So, back to the uh, the idea of fighting fire. Um, it is very natural to fight fire with fire. right? When we are attacked to attack. Uh, and, as we know, usually that leads to increasing the size of the fire. <laughs> you don't accomplish much by attacking fire with fire. But this is to respond to unkindness with unkindness, respond to an attack with an attack, insult with insult, impatience with impatience. And I don't know if this happens to you, but it is so hard to be patient with somebody who's impatient, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do, is to be what I don't like in that person. They are so unkind, they're attacking me. And I find that in my heart, I want to attack. Fighting fire with fire generally just increases the size of the blaze. Sometimes we do something a little bit like this. Uh, sometimes our responses are to fan the flames even bigger. And, and, and we say, well, you know what, I'm just trying to be kind. I'm not attacking the way they are, but sometimes it still is a subtle attack. right? It's, it's, it just fans the flames even more. Sometimes, though, we just end up saying, this is just the way life is. Can't do anything about it. Fires will burn, and there will be more fires, and so there you go. And we just let it be, right? In our discouragement, in our despair, thinking nothing will ever change. And so here's the call, and that is to open the fire hydrant, right? One of the best ways to respond with fire, to fire, is with plenty of water. This is with responses that are so different from the trouble, especially through the living water by the Spirit of God. Jesus said, Blessed are the people who are living according to that living water, that the ways of the Spirit of God is what's flowing through them, and they might get attacked for it. And it might be a a great struggle, but he says these are the people who are well-positioned, because Jesus said, here's the blessing, on those who long for the ways of God and choose to grow into the ways of God causing people to praise God for the beauty of his kingdom. So one of the things I found is a great exercise, and I just want to walk through this with you, is to look at the Beatitudes in Jesus as he was going to die. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We certainly see Jesus going to the cross in anguish, yet crying out to God. Say, God, I am abandoned by people and even by you. I'm betrayed by the people's closest, people closest to me, yet I'm trusting in you. He said, I am poor in spirit. He says, I am forsaken by God himself, yet crying out to him. Jesus was poor in spirit. 
because he was taking up the position of being abandoned by God. Jesus is one who warned that he came in such a surprise. He comes to Jerusalem and he stops when he can see the beauty of it and he weeps. He weeps over the rebellion and the brokenness of the world. He doesn't come and say, you awful people. (laughs) He comes and cries. He mourns because the ways of God are not being done. Jesus came meek, not as the conquering hero. That's what they wanted, not judging and forcing and violent. He came in peace like a lamb before his shears is silent. He came meek. And yet, this beautiful thing, he came hungry and thirsting for righteousness. He came with a zeal for God's house and God's ways. He came and said, this is God's place. And I'm going to restore it to do what God wants done. He came with a zeal for the house of God that consumed him, longing for the righteousness of God. Jesus came merciful. He came gently, yet clearly rebuking and correcting and calling for those against him to change, inviting those who were judging him to change their ways. He came merciful rather than judging. He came pure in heart, and here I think we see this in this, not for his own defense, not for his own glory. It was entirely for the glory of his Father. There was a purity in his heart to say it has nothing to do with me getting what I deserve. It has everything to do about the honor of God. And Jesus clearly came as the peacemaker. Right? Uh, uh, appealing for repentance, uh, dying as a sacrifice to bring rebels to God, he came as the peacemaker. And, I don't think I'm right, uh, those he came also as those who were persecuted. Right? Persecuted yet boldly and peacefully following the ways of God. Jesus is what he describes that he values among his people. And it led to his death. He died being what he says he values. And yet he is blessed because he then gained the name that is above every name, that every knee would bow before him. He is the model of those who are blessed for being these things that the world doesn't value, that the world tramples. Right? Jesus blessed those who long for the ways of God and are choosing to grow into them. And Jesus did it perfectly. So the application today is, is in two parts. First, to distinctly and publicly long for the ways of of heaven. To say, we want God's ways. And it is weeping over sin. It's weeping over sin in ourselves and in society. And, and sometimes I've thought, weeping over sin is something we grow out of. That, that's kind of when we're younger in Christ. And then later on, I think, no, what a sadness when that happens. We should be weeping over the sin in ourselves and in society. We should be weeping over the consequences of sin on us and on other people, rather than judging people and saying, oh, they get what they deserve. We should weep like Jesus over Jerusalem. We should be crying out for God's ways to be done in us and in others. We should long desperately for the ways of God, like Jesus, deeply troubled by how far short we fall from the glory of God. Right? Jesus looked at people and said, how sad it is that you're walking away from God. So a statement that was really helpful to me this week from John Stott. 
is he says too few of us weep these Christian tears. Blessed are those who mourn because they look at the way things are and say this is not the ways of God. And it is so sad. And we should mourn over these things. And and this is part of the prophetic voice. It's not to come and say how terrible everybody is. It's to say how sad it is that the ways of God are not known among people. We should distinctly and publicly long for the ways of heaven. And then we should distinctly and publicly grow into the ways of heaven. To learn to relate to others in in meekness and mercy and peace. I, I love this expression of what it is to relate to people in meekness. One key part of it is to know our own needs. To know our own sin, our own weakness, our own poverty. It's not to be weak, but it's to recognize I am not the hero here. I am not the one who can stand up and say, well, if only you were more like me. In meekness, we're to confront people, not in arrogance. We are also to come to people compassionately knowing others' needs. To know that the sin in their life is like the sin in mine. It is so hard to do anything about. To know their weakness, their their poverty. And to act to help them. It's, it's pursuing peace, uh, shalom, this, this idea of health and wholeness and community, wanting peace for everyone, including our enemies. And to do this with boldness and courage, even when we're disregarded, even when it's seemingly unsuccessful, and even when attacked, we're to respond to others in meekness, mercy, and peace, because this is who Jesus is. And growing into the kingdom involves relentlessly hoping for and anticipating being blessed by God. Rejoice and be glad, he said. How can we rejoice and be glad? Because he says, there is a joy in heaven that will just be overwhelming to you. And so Hebrews 12 makes a statement about Jesus. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And here's what he did. For the joy set before me endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I don't know what kind of opposition you experience. I don't experience very much opposition for explicitly being a Christian. I don't know how to process that. Some people suffer greatly. But I do know sometimes, I say this is too hard. I'm not sure this is going to work, but I'll keep trying just because I'm supposed to. Jesus went through the hardest opposition, focused on the joy that was his to come. He says, that's what's before me. That is the joy. The reality is that our natural reaction to the disconnect between God's ways and the ways of people is envy and blame. We say, well, my life's not so good. Why is theirs so good? Why do I have trouble and they don't? I'm trying to follow God and we we envy. We blame. The trouble I have is because of you. Right? We, we attack, we, we get angry when, when the ways of God aren't the ways in our world that we get discouraged, we get self-absorbed, we can despair, we can withdraw, and we can give up. And we can say, why try again to be more like Jesus? Why try again for justice? Why try again for peace? I expect you experience this in a number of different ways. I mean, for me, one simple story is going back to middle school. And I remember the disconnect between 
my friends who who told raunchy jokes, and when I wanted to avoid it, they made fun of me. And when they made fun of me, I wanted to hide, I wanted to run away, I wanted to attack. There was nothing in me that says rejoice and be glad. <laughs> right? Nothing in me that wanted to do that. But I realized so much of life is no different from that today. So much of life is no different from that, where we try to say, but I think this is what God wants us to do. And the response is mocking or attack or belittling. And we say, we'd just like to run away. Or we'd like to attack. Or we'd like to say, well, you're the problem here. And all these different things. Our natural reactions are not good. And yet I want to highlight one thing I find very powerful. Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. right? Blessed are you who mourn. Who, who, and he goes through these descriptions. Jesus' statement was not just a statement of reality. These were statements that brought reality to be. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And in the beginning of his ministry, Jesus said, blessed be these people. And so I invite you just to listen to these Beatitudes with that sense. These are the, this is the voice of Jesus speaking behind my voice, declaring the blessing of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus blesses, his people are truly blessed. Let me suggest some just very simple, concrete things. Uh, the first is, I would challenge you to memorize Matthew 5, 3-10. Just memorize these Beatitudes. One of the great things that lets us do is to meditate on it often, especially in the challenging times. One of the great things about memory is when you wake up at night and you can't sleep, you've got some great content to review in your mind rather than the content that's probably going to come naturally. Talk with others about these words. Pray the power of the Spirit in us to make us like Jesus. And I put it in the notes. It's on the screen here. Uh, put together this website a while ago that I find really helpful for memorizing things. Um, but I would really challenge you, memorize these words. So when you go for a walk, when you sit at the table, when you're falling asleep, when you realize you're discouraged, let these words come back and let the declaration of the blessing of God come. And then another concrete thing is to tell people the blessing of God in hard places. When people are struggling, when they're lost, say, well, you know what? When you are poor in spirit and you cry out to God, that is a blessed place. It doesn't feel like it, but Jesus declared his blessing will flow in to you and to declare these things. And so I love this expression from Jesus, the beginning of his ministry. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. God himself has said, you're going to be the means to bring good news to the poor the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. 
Jesus, in saying these words, didn't just say, this is the good stuff and nobody realizes it. He says, the reason it is good to be poor in spirit is because he is the Savior. Because he is the one who brings blessing. He came to bring good news. And we need to declare that to each other when we're in hard places. To say, you are blessed when you are mourning over the brokenness of the world and the brokenness in your heart, if you will turn to him. And then the challenge to live as meek and merciful peacemakers while passionately pursuing the ways of heaven on earth. To be dedicated to this. And if there's something that would stand out dramatically in our world today, this might be it. (laughs) To live as meek and merciful peacemakers while passionately pursuing the ways of heaven. So to end with the image, when we encounter fire, we are to be meek, merciful, and hope-filled, mourning the present brokenness while rejoicing in the hope of the emerging and future kingdom by the Spirit of God powerfully working in us. We are to be just like Jesus. So let's pray. Jesus, we are just delighted to know that you are perfectly what you call us to be. By your death and your resurrection, you brought blessing for those in hard places who look to you. I ask, Jesus, that today your blessing would indeed flow to each of us here. Father, for each of us here who is poor in spirit, that we would know your blessing. For each of us who mourns over the brokenness in our hearts and our world, we would know your blessing. Help us to know your ways. Help us to know your blessing, to look to you. And Jesus, would you help us by the power of the Spirit? to be living water, your water flowing through us, that people would know the goodness of God and praise our Father who is in heaven. In you, Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.